Section three of the Black Cat, Volume two, number five, February eighteen ninety seven. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Black Cat, Volume two, number five, February eighteen ninety seven. Section three. Pendarvis the Cracker by Alan Chamberlain Joe Pendarvis was a Florida cracker born and reared, and himself in turn rearing others of his kind in one of the most thrifty orange districts of his state. Outwardly and in his manner of living he did not differ materially from any of his kin, but he figures here on account of his childlike submission to the workings of a law which he was unable to understand and therefore was unable to willfully sin against. Now the cracker is a singular creature, as singular in his character, or the lack of it, as in his tribal name. If you ask a southerner what a cracker is, he looks aghast at your ignorance, then smiles and begins confidently to explain, but presently brings up all helpless in a fit of stammering and stuttering, finally announcing in despair, why, he's a cracker. While no one knows where these poe whites acquired their name, it is conjectured that their long-legged gauntness may have suggested the heron known as a corncrake, and that this may by corruption have evolved itself into cracker. In some localities in the south, this species of humanity bears the name of sandhiller, which again may be derived from his similarity to the sandhill crane. At all events, the cracker is a curious creature, utterly incapable of applying himself to any steady labor and wholly proof against improvement through contact with others. He is a cracker first and last, and as long as his race endures. His ideas of right and wrong are traditionally erratic, and when found guilty by other men's standards, he regards himself as greatly abused and in no sense bound to respect any code not applied with force. Pendarvis, or Pen, as he was familiarly known throughout that section, was beginning to tilt his seesaw of life the other way at the time of which I shall speak. After many years of far too much work, according to Cracker's standards, made necessary by the hearty appetites of his ever-increasing family, he was beginning to sigh for some windfall of fortune which should allow him to hire a nigger to buy a mule, when one day a northern man came along and began to set out a grove on land adjoining his own patch. Through this stranger, Penn came into part of his long-dreamed-of windfall, for while he was not able to hire a hand to do his own work, he at least found ample excuse for letting the weeds grow at home while for dollars he helped the northerner work on the new plantation. Time thus wore on in a happy and sunny southern manner until the young trees arrived at a stage where they could be safely left to stand alone for a time. Then one day the newcomer went north to bring his family back. This was bad news for the cracker. With rueful looks he regarded the rankness of his own kitchen patch and bethought himself of the daily naggings he would have to undergo from his old woman until he should begin work there. 
Some weeks later, while Penn was engaged in his regular interval of hoe-handle napping, he chanced to think that it was almost time for that Yankee to return. From where he stood he could see that the young trees in his neighbor's orchard looked thrifty and handsome, but began to show the need of a little attention. Penn knew exactly what ought to be done for their relief, and calculated how many days could be spent over there, and just how many days of luxurious idleness would follow on the proceeds. Although it was still two hours before sundown, and he had plenty of work to do in his little patch, Penn shouldered his hoe and strolled leisurely up to his front porch. There in the cool shade, tilted back in his rickety chair, he thought once more of his coming bliss. "'That Yankee's tarnal slow,' mused Penn aloud, about a week later. Since that afternoon of contemplation, he had passed most of his time in similar speculations as to his approaching wealth. It was but a few days later that Penn heard of a man who was inquiring for healthy young trees at two dollars apiece, and after that the cracker's mind knew no peace until he remarked to his wife next day that he reckoned their neighbor weren't coming back no more. "'A pity, too, to leave them handsome trees to their bugs and lice,' he continued. Poor Penn had lain awake all night thinking about those trees at two dollars apiece, and his crude calculations of the proceeds of two or three hundred trees at that price had furnished him with visions of a sum of money sufficiently large to keep his family and himself in luxurious idleness for an incalculable period. A year, at least, in which to bask in the sun and feast on hog-fat and hominy. Who could resist so tempting a vision? Penn hadn't the power, and besides, it seemed to him such a pity that those trees should be wasted. His wife had never seen Penn so eager to get to work as he was that morning. He could not even wait to fill his after-breakfast pipe before setting out, but shredded his leaf as he trudged almost briskly away. Whatever conscience he may have had, he had succeeded in stilling during his night of counsel with himself. What harm could there be in saving those fine young trees from certain destruction? Were they not abandoned, and to him as much as to anybody else? If he did not gather the harvest, another surely would. What could a man who had never been nearer than fifty miles to the county seat, with its court and jail, know about the finer points of proprietary rights. It took Penn but a few days to remove the trees, which were quickly purchased and no questions asked. But when the long-dreamed-of prize was almost within his grasp, when his spade was in fact under the roots of the last tree, fate wheeled upon him, and he heard the voice of the northerner behind him saying, in amazement rather than anger, Pendarvis, what are you doing? Penn's rights in those trees were at once relinquished in favor of their owner and without a word. Having convinced himself, with one long open-mouthed stare, that this was a man of flesh and blood, Penn, without designing so much as a single word of reply, slouched off toward his cabin, leaving his spade behind. Next morning, when the sheriff drew rein at the door and said simply, 
Pen, they want you to go over to the county seat with me. The crestfallen man made no attempt at resistance. His case was soon disposed of by the court, and at the suggestion of the sheriff that he had always been a law-abiding citizen and that his family was large, he was let off with only five years in the penitentiary. Pendarvis needed no manacles, but took his fate as calmly as he did his tobacco or his sleep, and as the penitentiary was almost two hundred miles from this county seat, the sheriff, knowing his man, decided to take him home for the night. The next day, as the sheriff had other and pressing business to attend to, he informed his prisoner that he had better go hunting for a day or two until there should be more leisure for the journey. But instead of two days, it was fully two months ere the sheriff found an opportunity to move his man. During all this time, Penn had lived with the sheriff, split his wood, run his errands, and kept his table supplied with fish and game. Indeed, Penn began to think that his luck had not gone so much against him after all, when one morning the sheriff announced that he must be off at once to the next county to attend a trial, and that, as it was on the road to the penitentiary, he would take Pendarvis along. Several days were passed at the trial, and Penn, unknown in a strange county, attended the sittings of the court as a spectator. When at length the trial closed, the sheriff found that it would be inconvenient for him to escort his prisoner farther toward the prison, so, giving Penn his own commitment papers and ten dollars for expenses, he started him off alone. In due course of time, for it takes time for a cracker to walk, and there being no railroad most of the way, Penn was obliged to go afoot, he turned up at the penitentiary. The warden was dumbfounded, but took him in and undertook to put him to work. Unfortunately, this officer did not know the cracker nature as well as had the sheriff. Penn allowed that he was a prisoner, but not a nigger, and simply refused to work. Neither threats nor promises had any effect. At last it occurred to the warden that a man who could be trusted to walk two hundred miles and surrender himself with his commitment papers at a prison simply because he was told to do so, must be a trustworthy person, and he thereupon appointed Penn warden's messenger. During his term, Penn served his state on many important errands, bearing messages to neighboring county seats, and often making journeys which kept him away for several days at a stretch. But, like a faithful hound, he never failed to return, and when at length his term was up, the warden, forsooth, was forced to kick him out. Why should a cracker wish to leave this delightfully lazy, irresponsible life for one of toil and hardship? End of section 3